Hi y'all, Double G here. My co-host John LaRocca and I have been re-watching episodes of 1997 Raw, the turning point year for the WWF, and reviewing those episodes on Fight Game Media Network Plus in 2022. We'll do the same thing with 1998 Raw. So if you miss some of the golden years of the WWF, come hang out with us every week. We'll break down the shows and the pay-per-views as well and give you context and insight through our research that will take you right back to that time frame. It's wild watching these shows back with current eyes. Subscribe at patreon.com front slash fight game media. another spin-off of of Fujiwara Gumi, you know? Fujiwara Gumi didn't die because the, the all the punk, Pankers guy, Minoru Suzuki, you know, Masaka Tsunaki, and they left and created the Pankers. They went all the way to MMA. And ironically, the top two, Minoru Suzuki and Masaka Tsunaki, came back to pro- traditional pro wrestling. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting? I think because they understand what it's all about. And also, they couldn't do it anymore. See, MMA is something you can do maybe five years out of your life. Right. Yeah, and then you break down. And and actually, Minoru Suzuki had a neck injury, you know, and uh, he had to take time off, you know. And uh, after, on Funaki's case, in, in, in Funaki's case, he really lost interest in fighting after Hickson Gracie fight, and he was gonna walk away, you know. And he did walk away, and he wanted to become movie star or something, and uh, that didn't really work out that well after a couple movies, you know. And uh, he had another job, you know, like uh, nothing related to wrestling or fighting or spotlight or camera or anything like that. And then uh, seven years later, Muto, you know, Keiji Muto picked up a phone. And say, do you want to do it again? He says, yes. Hmm. <laughs> Isn't that good, though? Mm. And he's still going today. Just yeah. a few weeks and, ago, uh, I saw him. Yeah. The, what, what took or who took was that it was like a very beginning, you know, the back to root, the dojo friend from 1984. You know, it had to be Keiji Muto. And he actually picked up a phone and called Funaki. Hey, how you doing? Long time no see. Do and do mm. it again. And says, yeah, I want to do it again. And uh, he joined Muto's version of uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah. Suzuki, very... is, uh, Suzuki went there first as well, right? And yeah, they were, uh, Minoru Suzuki and Masaka Tsunaki were never together after Pankras. The two, two icons went to their own path individually. So Minoru Suzuki going back to traditional pro wrestling was completely another different, you know, another story. He went back to New Japan and he went to Old Japan. He went to pro wrestling Noah. He went back to New Japan and back to Old Japan and then worked another year with pro wrestling Noah. And yeah, it's like a, he just exercised his free, pretty much freedom, you know. And mm-hmm. he's a big enough star that the, all these three major companies, New Japan, All Japan, and Pro Wrestling, no, they take him anytime, right? Of course. Yeah, so that was Minoru Suzuki's freedom. 
And anywhere he went, he did nothing but top. You know what I'm saying? Like he never worked mid card. He was there to take um, Triple Crown. He was there to take Pro Wrestling Noah's heavyweight title. And uh, he went back to New, you know, New Japan and uh, formed his own faction, Suzuki Gun. Mm. Yeah. So uh, he never, you know, fell from main event status. He still arguably is in a sort of not main event status, but special match. Very status. special match status. Also, somebody special and uh, working AEW, uh, the companies that you never heard of, or the or Josh Burnett, Bloodsport, Impact. You know that they're just welcoming him, welcoming him with open hand. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to see him on his last uh, tour of the states last month it may not be his last tour you know well, uh, i mean i mean his most recent tour that's most recent tour yeah yes. and i believe he um he's becoming modern day carl gotch seems like it seems like yeah. the circle is coming back together that's why you know you can't stop watching wrestling <laughs> you gotta <laughs> you see what mean? happens <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah um well we had a head of an introduction um on this episode three yeah because this is a very big um uwf is a big theme and actually it's like almost like a big project done you know to understand because it's so influential and uh it might be a biggest thing in 80s and 90s that the biggest thing that happened in japanese wrestling and it's it's still uh, you know it's it's a fundamental part of current japanese pro wrestling that too and believe it or not that uh, UWF somewhat influenced all Japan's Misawa Kobashi Kawada Taue style too, because they had to become a little bit more serious. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. It definitely had, I mean, it didn't change the style entirely, although Kawada was still, definitely the outlier. The, yeah, the also, this is still within uh, within professional wrestling frame, you know, per, you know professional wrestling boundary, but uh, look what they can do in the ring. Uh, no one can take anything away from single match between Kawada, Misawa, Kobashi, Taue, and I'm as serious as it can get. And also, they involved Americans like Steve Williams, the Stan Hansen, the Terry Gordy, the Gary Albright, the Vader at the end. You know those physically humongous Americans that you, you can't do anything about. You know mm-hmm. that boundary is there too. That's why Stan Hansen was always saying that uh, you need Japanese wrestling always need ba- badass American. Because mm. Japanese against Japanese on top and uh, struggle is there. The seriousness is there. The hard hitting and emotions there. But it doesn't really um, um, go beyond social, you know, social structure like your company life. Mm-hmm. You need badass, big, bad American that physically so dominant that those seriousness, you know, with, with those seriousness, you still can't do anything about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it Stay. never, never took on the martial arts uh, approach. It never, it, it stayed, it just because, was Because, because if you took the martial arts of, approach, you, you lose. Mm-hmm. That's UWF philosophy. You have to prove that your wrestling is better by doing your style better. Right. You know what I'm saying? They Although, never walked 
yeah. Although Kawada was Kawada, definitely the outlier. Yeah, well, with he the tried kicking, to, pad, kicking mm. pad and kicking in somebody's face. He was the kind of representation of that style a little bit, not fully, you know, not not hundred percent, not hundred percent. But if you apply that kick to Vader, you apply the kick to Stan Hansen's chest, face, he'll still get up. Mm -hmm. Like nothing happened. That doesn't work with me. It's like a, that's exactly what Stan Hansen was talking about. That it is physically humongous, so much bigger than Japanese American flesh, you know, that uh, this is something you can't do anything about. Say all your philosophy, say your all these, you know, that uh, uh, theories and, uh, and uh, how you're going to change wrestling and all that. But big, bad American will be standing in, in the middle of the ring and take it. He can take it too. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was very interesting. Misawa, tough guy. Kobashi, tough guy, right? But they never really imitated other people's style because they believe what they're doing is best. Still influenced, still influenced by other groups, what they, you know, other what other people are doing. But overall, that the I, I was gonna say pillar, because <laughs> everybody <laughs> say pillar. Yeah, but the four guys, four big guys. Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, and, and Taue, and probably Jun Akiyama fifth. They proved that their style is superior by doing their style so good. Yeah. And they didn't uh, change styles. They didn't compromise. It was very much, even after the demise of UWFI, even after all of that, even into Noah, Pro-Wrestling Noah, it was still... Or somebody like a big alien, like... Uh, like Naoya Ogawa, the Olympic gold medal ah. guy coming into pro wrestling, Misawa was able to take him. You know, if you remember uh, tag team match, uh, Hashimoto, Shinya Hashimoto and Ogawa went into Noah and had the tag team match, Misawa in the same ring, and people were so curious how would Misawa handle somebody like Ogawa. He, mm -hmm. was, out, he, he was able to, uh, I mean, almost easily out-wrestling Ogawa. You know, so and Ogawa, he wasn't a UWF direct product, but he was no, a but the, he result. was like some, some, or, or some, it, it not quite UWF, but he was from legitimate sport background, like somebody strong and, 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 and I mean, legitimate enough to have gold medal in judo, okay, and wanted to be a professional wrestler. And a lot to prove, and he he he, he decides, you know, that he, can he do the professional wrestling or the or the or the this traditional pro wrestler can take on Olympic judo gold medal type person in that ring, and nothing fake about it. Especially like, against Hashimoto. Oh yeah, Hashimoto tough guy. Yeah, but it he seems was, he like... was influenced by and also. He actually was recruited by UWF and UWF wanted him when he was young lion. Is that true? Yeah, did you know that? No, like I in, didn't know that. Yeah, 1985 version of UWF, Maeda Takada, uh, the Hashimoto still living in, in New Japan dojo, and uh, Hashimoto, they wanted Hashimoto. That guy, we need that guy. And Hashimoto, you know, probably all, almost went there, but uh, he realized that the uh, 
I'm living in New Japan Dojo and this is how I want to be. And uh, probably choose Muto and Chono as his best friends than going to almost unknown, you know, that the territory of UWF. Because you have to leave New Japan to join UWF at the time. Right. Yeah. He was still Young Lion, you have to remember. Mm -hmm. That the Young Lion was incredible in 1984. Keiji Muto. Masa Chono, uh, of course, you know, Hashimoto, and year older Liger, Sano, and uh, well, uh, 15 year old Funaki, you know, and Akira Nogami, and all those guys were living in there all together. Can you imagine the environment? <laughs> very, know? I'm sure it was very competitive because each had their own success, their single success. And individually so talented. Mm -hmm. but very different. Oh, no, each yeah, of yeah. Them. We, we have to remember there are a dozen guys who didn't make it at the time. Right. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I don't remember some of the, some of the names who didn't make it, you know? But uh, yeah. You know, I think, I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but do you remember a wrestler who he showed up uh, later on in FMW, Chocobo Mukai? I think he was also part of that, that initial uh, okay. class. Yeah, 85, 86 class. Right, right. He, but he, he dropped became, out or had an injury. Then, then or he became an adult porn star. That's right. That's right. He had a success, <laughs> success in more of the entertainment world instead of the wrestling world. But he did. He but came the, back. Who walk, yeah, but the who walked away from New Japan Dojo? There were reasons that they walked away, though. Because it was too tough? It. They didn't make it. You know? Yeah, so, so, because there were. 50 other wrestling com companies five years later, you can probably start somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, we have to make it special that uh, when there was only three wrestling companies in Japan altogether, New Japan, All Japan, and UWF, you are selected elite, you know, in that field. Very yeah. competitive. Yeah, very competitive, yeah. See, like, 100 guys going to audition and 10 guys being chosen, right? And probably, maybe, maybe five guys will make it at the end. And those are Ligers. Those are, you know, Naoki, you know, Takuma Sanos. Those are Ultimate Dragon, who actually didn't make it. Uh, he made the audition, but he was told that he is too short to be debut in Japan. Mm -hmm. And he decided to move to Mexico in 1987 and became legend of his own. So that's another story for another day. But the New Japan Dojo is like, like you are the elite of the elite, you know, thing. How about, now, wasn't Gran Hamada a part of that time period too? No, not at all. 1972. Oh, he, okay. Excuse me. Yeah. I'm thinking, who am I thinking? Okay. Mr. Pogo and Gran Hamada were friends of all things. <laughs> that's so funny. Is not though he, Mr. Pogo became deathmatch guy. And Grand Hamada became the, the grandfather of Japanese Lucha Libre. Nine, yeah. Class of 1972, Grand Hamada and Mr. Pogo. And you have Don Arakawa, the Masanobu Chris, the, 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 those, that class was interesting too. Yeah. Now, what are you thinking about? Maybe Osamu Kido or something. Osamu um, Kido was direct student of, of Korogach. He was, okay. Yeah, Carl himself called him my son. How many sons did Carl Gotch have? 
oh, the real friend was Osamu Kido, you mm-hmm. know, you know, like washing his back in, in, in Japanese bath, you know, mm-hmm. that. but uh, he, Osamu Kido, so talented, but he was never star driven, you know, he probably didn't want to be star, you know, nothing flashy about him too, but uh, he didn't say much about himself. He was just wrestled so quiet, you know. Yeah. There were a handful of, of, of trainees that they, they never made a big name for themselves, but they, they were, were part of it. Yeah. 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 Like a Don Arakawa, the Masanobu Chris, the Fujiwara was going to be the quiet guy too, you know, until mm. the one angle, one night in Sapporo that uh, he, you know, bloodied up Ricky Choshu in, in live television. Overnight, overnight sensation. He became People were terror- crazy. People oh, were God. insane. But Fujiwara wouldn't do it on his own. That was Antonio Inoki who, you know, came up with the angle, right? Yeah, of course. Speaking of Inoki, we were talking about Naya Ogawa earlier. Inoki yeah. started to, uh, he was influenced by all of this as well, by all this UWF. Or uh, he is the one who influenced it. Right, right. He, he, <laughs> yeah. It depends on how you want to look at it, but especially Antonio towards Inoki, the, yeah. Towards the uh, the end of his, re- you know, he, he had already finished his wrestling career, but he was also a big proponent of s- someone like Naoya Ogawa and that the realistic style uh, being he, incorporated. Well, he wasn't active. Actually, he didn't retire until uh, April of 1998. But when he left the company back in 1989, 1980 to be a politician, practically that was actually when he retired, practically, right? Mm-hmm. He came back and did a match here and match there, Tokyo Dome, that the you know Osaka Dome, the Fukuoka Dome, and just those like a stadium type of show for special matches like Inoki against Great Muta and all that. But uh, yeah, uh, practically he retired back in 1990, but he didn't have his retirement match until 1998. Then uh, that the April of 1997, now now Ogawa debuts and he uh, he felt that. Uh, he makes Antonio Inoki out of him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, he, see, Naoya Ogawa is interesting, very interesting case that he came to wrestling and debuted in main event against Shinya Hashimoto, of course. Mm-hmm. And never had this dojo days, never had this um, um, young lion time period, you know, that he was main event guy from the day one. Very, probably the only wrestler in Japan, Japanese mm-hmm. wrestling history. And now, now that we're talking about Ogawa and Hashimoto, that this is the big, it's not part of the UWF, but it's, I can see the shadow, you know, the ghost of UWF in it because people want to believe what you're seeing is real, right? I'm right. all through Japanese wrestling. And Hashimoto against Naoya Ogawa, they had five matches. Five single matches. Debut match, Ogawa beat him, right? The, uh, April of 1997. And the following month, May, May of 1997, uh, same matchup, Hashimoto beat him. You know, so one, one, two, one, right? And the third match is a historical one. The January 4th, Tokyo Dome, 1999. That turned out to be what people believe, shoot, right? Mm. Yeah, then uh, Booker Ricky Choshu came into the ring and asked 
Satoru Sayama and Ogawa. Is that how you want to do it? Is that how you want to do it? Is that how you're doing it? And then uh, it seemed to me that uh, something was really wrong, right? Because Hashimoto wasn't informed. Inoki left the building before the match. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And Hashimoto, quick thinking that the, he kicked referee Taiga Hattori's stomach so he could get DQ'd and get the fuck out of there. Excuse, right. excuse my language. <laughs> but uh, you know what I'm saying? Something but it was, was that urgent. It was very, yeah, something very different. Was definitely wrong, you know? And uh, was not, no contest. All the chaos in the ring. Both guys, I mean, the, 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 everybody from dressing room to, you know, ran into ring to stop the fight because any fight can occur. Sayama, you know, Satoru Sayama's people, non-wrestler, you know, non-professional wrestlers already in the ring, all martial arts fighters. Everyone from New Japan dressing room rushed into the ring to stop the fight. And in the middle of it, Riki Choshu, people not knowing he was a booker, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a man, he was a publicly manager, Gemba Kantoku of New Japan. That's when people knew, uh, learned that why do they need manager like baseball team in professional wrestling? <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, in, in Oki's day, he was a producer, he was a director, he was a star. So nothing to worry about, right? So you can present professional wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, like, what it is like professional sport and when inoki left he appointed ricky choshu as a well, you can say dressing room locker room backstage leader but the somebody had to be in charge huh it, and yeah it yeah. seemed like he was because he wasn't wrestling by this point i think did he retire the the year before well, he didn't really but, retire but he, but he wasn't but he as came active back right away yeah but he didn't take never took on um, Ricky Choshu never had the full-time schedule after that. Mm-hmm. No G1, no, no, no. regular so let's schedule. Call, like... Let's call him American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. very good. similar. Very similar, right? Mm. But the, he's the one n- not related to this storyline. So people go, huh? Right? Right. But he went into the ring to divide the two groups. You know, you go back, you go back. You know what I'm saying? And he was the only one who is able to do so yeah but interestingly when you when when, when something something like this happens wrestling company will make it into storyline that sells of course people want to watch Hashimoto against Ogawa now you know once again of course settle in the ring Oh, Vince McMahon say that too. Do that in the ring. We do that in the ring. We, we settle the problem in the ring in WWE. Mm. Ironically. But yeah, when you turn around, these all these things might be all same. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that's another subject for another day. But uh, after this j- famous or infamous January 4th, Tokyo Dome, 1999, famous fight between Hashimoto and Ogawa turned into the Biggest box office, box office, huh? So they did that in October of 1999. At uh, again, fourth match, Ogawa against uh, Shinya Hashimoto, and the stipulation this time was: if Hashimoto loses, you retire. Ooh, right. And what happened? 
Ogawa won. That was the big shock. Oh, God, that the Hashimoto actually had to retire, right? But that's a stipulation. You can't betray fans and you can't go back and say, well, we just said that. No, he was going to really retire and people believed it, naive or not. And there was like a big petition, you know, among fans. You're talking hundred thousands of fans that sending letters. No, Hashimoto, do not retire. Seriously, it's, it's happening in two, 1999, 2000, you know. I don't say it's naive, just it's uh, realistic enough that the people believe them. And especially Hashimoto, he's he wasn't like a lot of the other wrestlers at the time still. He still, while it, he wasn't an MMA fighter, he had a kind of realistic uh, yeah, aspect. pro wrestler. Oh, yeah. pro wrestler. Should be. Martial artist, Japanese martial artist, serious pro wrestler. And he's also one of the guys who just... Uh, believable years, guy. Believable, and he beat... Uh, Takara a couple years back, he kind of won the right, uh, right. yeah, won the right. war. So he for he New Japan. overcame overcame UWF trauma too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also he's sincere enough that he grabbed the house mic and started saying it. He genuinely cried in front of wrestling fans. Mm. It's very emotional, you know. I, I cannot say character; it's a person that he really was, and uh, so. All in all, to, to fast forward a little bit, that the people basically agreed that, and Hashimoto basically agreed that, that yes, I'm returning to the ring, October of 2000. Well, it's like he took a year off and it's a, he actually retired and people believed it. I believe that, that what's, what you're gonna do, you know, when you have this, if you lose this match, you know, you retire stipulation. Ah, it's in the wrestling, ah, he'll come back. It's, that's like almost really like a, heartless you know it's like almost like a dirty thought you know no no let's be more sincere about this that the, you know he was going to really retire people really believed it and people really you know felt that he should come back and the company in new japan really felt that yeah let's let him come back you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. yeah i i'm am i talking like a dumb wrestling fan no no because that was the, that seemed to be the case he was um hashimoto was uh still even different even different from chono and maybe muto the, maybe very last believable person in professional wrestling yeah because it was he came about before the rise of mixed martial arts and he, he wasn't a traditional new japan style wrestler he wasn't he, he wasn't a traditional shoot and, fighter. And, and also 20 years younger than Antonio Inoki's heyday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he never had Inoki against Hashimoto confrontation. Too young, right? And, he, I mean, who has as much charisma as Hashimoto had? A you different know? type of charisma because Keiji Muto and Masachono is different kind of superstar. Well, I guess not charisma, but maybe like a unique passion or really easy to uh, read the story when you're watching him. All right, let's say um, um, if Muto and, and, and Masachono were more of a pop music rock and roll superstar, mm -hmm. Hashimoto is like an Enka star. Right, right. You know, Japanese singing, you know, you know, just... Mm -hmm. You know what the Enka is. You gotta like, explain uh, that to American audience. You know, if <laughs> it's not exactly the same, but if we had to make a quick comparison, it's like uh, American country music. You know, right, right, right. It's like uh, that taste. People that um, 
I don't know. It's but, very Japanese okay. pop. Yeah. And Japanese Hashimoto style. doesn't wear denim, okay? Mm-mm. He comes out with kimono. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of person. Seriously, so domestic. I mean, like the taste, complete Japanese taste he had, you know? Yes. Yeah. So he made comeback um, October 2000 against Fujinami, you know? Mm-hmm. But something happened within the company and Hashimoto was officially fired November of 2000. Interesting, huh? And he would go on to do his own thing before Pro he... Pro Wrestling Zero One. Yeah, mm-hmm. before he started Zero One, he, um, he had a few matches with Pro Wrestling Noah. Those were the beginning of Dark Age in my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And following year, that uh, March of 2001, uh, Pro Wrestling, Hashimoto's Pro Wrestling uh, Zero One officially starts. And of all things that... Uh, very beginning of Zero One was already a inner promotion match. Hashimoto and New Japan's Yuji Nagata going up against Misawa and Akiyama of Pro Wrestling right. Noah. Is not interesting. So I those were the times I kind of lost tracking of those little details. Yeah. And at that time too, this is when you know UWFI had already gone under it. Right, but right. So we also UWF saw- fan needed to find something that they believe in. A lot of the UWF fan went to MMA and never came back. Mm-hmm. You know? Well that's and- because isn't it because Takato he he initially went to MMA and this was back to 97. We got Pride. Pride took over. Yeah he- and then and then Takata became uh, executive producer of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And also he was a uh, like 100% MMA fighter. And Inoki sided with these people that, at the time. Yeah. And he'd kind of dragged his own New Japan guys into the MMA world. Yeah. Inoki was all ready to sell, you know, New Japan to a game company and all those things. And he really walked away and he got so sick of it. And, but uh, Inoki always finds his new toy that the <laughs> entire MMA genre can be his. How's that? Was Inoki involved in UFO? UFO was uh, another almost like a mix, half pro wrestling, half martial arts. And, and the UFO, the, the Universal Fighting Organization, mm-hmm. it doesn't say wrestling in there. Mm-hmm. And to confuse people, you had Naoya Ogawa to be his guy and Satoru Sayama to be the head trainer. and. Uh, I didn't know if it was professional wrestling company or MMA, MMA company all the way. And the point was to confuse you, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Very vague. Yeah, very vague. Yeah. And That's using a lot of UFO. The... That's why it's called UFO. <laughs> Hard to see. Might, yeah, might exist, may not, you know. And it's, those little, little details are important, you know, because Inoki meant to call it UFO, you know. It's a came up with Universal Fighting Organization. It's kind of like a your warding game, you know, crossword mm-hmm. puzzle kind of thing almost. You know, around it is very smart at those things. And when Pride came around and 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 the K one becomes really popular, that uh, Inoki had his hands on all the jars. And I'm he would not, eventually not not to say Inoki's a bad person. He's the smartest 
promoter ever, you know. No, he would have his own New Year's Eve show. Uh, yeah, because he didn't try that. That uh, initially, Pride and K1 worked together. Right. You know, initially, Pride only grappling and a little bit of hitting. Right. It's a mixed martial arts. Pride, much like UFC, and K1 was heavyweight kickboxing organization. Kickboxing. And made the rule real simple: no elbow, you know, not you know, no throwing or grappling, just punch and kick. But heavyweight people, but those heavyweight kickboxer became MMA fighter a few years later. Then, mm -hmm. Pride had their own network deal with you know Channel Six. K1 had their own deal with network Channel Eight. Then network people wanted. You know, every net, you know, network channel wanted MMA fighting program on New Year's Eve. And they created Inoki Bomaye for Channel 4. And about five, six-year period, New Year's, you know how big New Year's Eve into New Year's Day in Japan was? I mean, still Huge. is. Kind of like your Christmas Eve into Christmas Day, right? Mm -hmm. In Japan, December 31st into January 1st, you, your biggest holiday. But you end up staying home and watch television a little bit. You know? Of course. And there's not just <laughs> wrestling. There's the, the big music yeah, contest. Yeah, yeah. Kohaku Tagasen. Yeah, on NHK. Yeah, all or night the, long. Um, singing. The, the relay race singer. in Hakone. Yeah, Ekiden, right? Yeah, Ekiden. Right. So there, it's and, a lot of uh, TV. Uh, in, uh, in the States, Thanksgiving has a lot of football on TV or certain right. movies. And Same everybody feeling. ended up staying home and all your relatives and nieces and nephews and all the cousins are in your living room, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Eating yeah. osechi. All day long. And mm -hmm. they start drinking in the morning. <laughs> sure, yeah, because no one is working. Everyone <laughs> no. is at... It really right. is the it's country shuts down. Yes, Sanganichi and January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd. That's the biggest holiday. So they took the, the, these TV people, you know, and then actually it's like you don't have to come up with mega budget to have drama, you know, special. You, are, you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's, uh, it's a state, basically, a, you know, stadium show live, like a sports event. They know how to do this. Channel 4 wanted Inoki Bomaye, Channel 6 wanted Pride and Channel 8 wanted K1. And people, you know, flipping channel all night long, it just started looking the same, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that was my, you know, darkest day of professional wrestling, you know? Because it seemed like um, even though the UWF style, UWF itself wasn't around, the, uh, the philosophy had really integrated itself into pro and wrestling it became, culture. Became, yeah, it became 100% MMA. And worse yet, you know, people got toughest wrestlers at the time, like Yuji Nagata, mm. Kendo Kashin, you know, all college wrestling champion in turn into your IWGP champion and you just New Japan pro wrestling superstar, right? Mm -hmm. They go into pride and k1 and have actual fight against people like emily and kveda mm -hmm. <laughs> with two Crow cop yeah milko Krokop. oh you name it had actual fight against those people with what three-day training <laughs> Crazy while idea. while nagata was a champion yeah just had i just had a wrestling match two nights ago 
It's like, imagine if we saw someone like Okada or Tanahashi get into UFC or, octagon. Or somebody like Roman Reigns. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, just face, um, you know, someone from UFC. Yeah, it takes somebody like Brock Lesnar months and months training to prepare for that kind of fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was and also... While, yeah, while Brock Lesnar was MMA fighter, he didn't wrestle professionally. Okay, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, also, we didn't know who Crow Cop would turn out to be. Or uh, Fedor. Or Fedor or Alistair Allflame or Mm -hmm. the Nogueira brothers from Brazil. Yeah. No one knew. Like, of course, everyone knew they were strong and they were going to be superstars. But now we look back and, of course, they're legends and some of the best. But we, you know, knowing what we know now, it really changes. And also the videotape existed, you know? Right. Yeah. I think we should also rewind a little bit because during this time, there was also a big side story that factors into all of this with the Gracie family. Yeah. I think that definitely, it wasn't the main um, point of all of this because this is a very, like we said, it's a big picture story. And like something like Hashimoto and Ogawa is pretty important as well. But uh, the initial... um, UWFI uh, challenge to the Gracie family, Hicks and Gracie, who had yeah, been and, competing and, in Aikido. Uh, Yoji Anjo, actually. Yoji Anjo. Anjo going to Los Angeles, you know, LA Dojo, knock, knock, you know, I want to fight Hicks and, Hicks and Gracie. Mm-hmm. And they were there to actually fight, shut the door and had the actual fight, you know? Mm-hmm. And and uh, shut the door, no one can go in and no one can go you know, come out. Then then uh, videotape existed and Anjo Yoji walked out all bloodied up, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, but that's another fact. But uh, we we cannot ignore the fact that Gracie Jiu Jitsu and Gracie Academy, and uh, well, actually, it's not the same. Hickson Gracie Academy and the Gracie Jiu Jitsu Academy is like a, a separate entity, right? But that's yeah. okay, it's all Gracie Jiu Jitsu, I mean, mm. so to speak. Uh, in this case, it's easy. Yes, of course, the Gracie easy, families easy, are right. Gracie, split up. All split up in all different business. But the, let's focus on the concept of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, right? Concept. Mm-hmm. You can't deny the fact that they became famous by involving pro wrestling. Of course. all Even going back to who we talked about earlier, Masahiko Kimura. Oh, in 1930s. Years back, yeah. Elio Gracie and all, mm-hmm. all, all bit. And jiu-jitsu is not, is not Portugal. It's a Japanese language, a Japanese word. Mm-hmm. Right? Gracie yeah. jiu-jitsu is just an idea of... Uh, a jiu-jitsu, very... they made it into their own. But uh, it's very similar even still. There are, uh, of course, of course. It's just it's different jiu-jitsu. focus. Yeah, of course it's jiu-jitsu. It, it... Wasn't jiu-jitsu used to be... Self-defense? I mean, like a, right, know, right. Wasn't it, the business to make money, you know, then franchise your dojo all over the world, you know, but then sell your merchandise, but it became business, big business. Now that the, every shopping mall in your block in America, you have a little bit of jujitsu dojo in your neighborhood. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It used to be karate or kickboxing gym, right? Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. then, then all, all of a sudden, it all became jiu-jitsu gym, dojo. Mm-hmm. And dojo became English word, too. That's good. Yes. Yeah. But, but, um, I, but anyhow, the, the, what we were talking about earlier, that yes, I believe 
and you believe, and it's a fact that Gracie Jiu-Jitsu became very famous by beating professional wrestlers. Very much so. And even yeah. th- that trickles back to the States and UFC with Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock and Dan Of Sutton. course. Yeah, that made Shamrock famous, but uh, you now you learn about what is Jiu-Jitsu, man, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think that um, the weekly pro wrestling cover with Yoji Anjo on it really shocked oh, yeah. people. Yeah, because he was like tough guy, right? From UWF. Tough guy, very like a smart ass. Uh, and yeah, mid card yet, but the, if you go all legitimate, that guy might be the toughest. Right. Believable. Then, yeah. There was like a three underdogs. See, Maeda Takada, always big superstar, right? Mm-hmm. And three mid card underdogs that people believe they might be the toughest three. Yoji Anjo, Yuko Miyato, and Tatsuo Nakano. Mm. Tatsuo yeah. Nakano was very unique. Yeah, he's still doing his style to, with professional wrestling to this day. Independent, though, you know. But, uh, yeah. So but he was, uh, also- as far as like a look or physical aspect, if you take Takara or Funaki, uh, Takara was complete opposite. Yeah, because he looks like star mm-hmm. wrestling or MMA. Yeah. Now he's a TV guy. Talent. Yeah. So, so from there, then we eventually got to pride soon after this the first yeah, pride. Then, there was a uh the show one show at the uh, tokyo dome called dynamite that mm-hmm. that only happened once the pancras masakatsu funaki had single match against hickson gracie not pride but the different show hickson gracie beat funaki too so hickson gracie beat takada twice and beat then the most believable MMA king, I mean, uh, Pan- king of Pancras, Funaki, mm-hmm. he beat him too. So that was like almost like a landslide of Pancras at the time too. It's like somebody they believed in so much that they went into fight against Hicks and Gracie and got beat in six minutes. What was, what were we seeing until then? Right. And Takara even had she had shorter matches before that. No offense whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just stalling and then Hicks and Gracie um... took into his position and beat him. It was mm-hmm. just a, like a textbook arm bar. Mm-hmm. You know? Or a choke or something. Yeah. Yeah. Later on, you know, when the Sakuraba generation comes, people studied and fighters studied and they educated you know, audience and they were educated, you know, educated fighters. So 2001, uh, Hoist Gracie against Sakuraba at the Tokyo Dome was like a different, almost like entirely different era. You know, right. Like, I think that was in 2000, right? Yeah. 2000, 2000? Okay, right. Yeah. Cause they knew what we were watching. I mean, we knew what we were watching and they knew what they were doing. And, and it's like entirely different because, when Hicks and Gracie and Takada happened, we were still like in a stage of like really start understanding what it's like to have two different sports collide and, and and the distance what they need or the striking or the grappling or where they hold or how to defend. You know, just it was still in in real early stage, huh? Very early, and still the Gracies had the opportunity to change or or alternate, like kind of 
the rules and they weren't... only fight under their rules. Right, right. Yeah. But the people don't need to know that. They just watch fight. Yeah. Much but like the... yeah, much like Inoki against Muhammad Ali, nobody knew what the rule was. And they blamed Inoki for you know laying there forever. And this he had to. He has to. 2000 match we're talking about was so long. It was one like hour. one of those, I think, yeah. even 90 and, minutes. Uh, you and I talked about this in last episode that that Sakuraba beating Hoist Gracie with Hoist Gracie's second family or brother throwing towel into the ring is almost better than beating in the ring. Right. I think it was even, I think it was Elio that. Elio, the yeah. Because yeah. the entire family gave up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it was so long. And you recognize that this, this guy, his son, his brother, can, cannot go on another round. Oh, he was exhausted. It was from exhaustion, right? He sat there in the corner. He can't go. Mm. And it was like uh, not just Sakurava's victory, but uh, we felt like we beat, finally beat Gracie family, the Gracie empire, all right. Right, <laughs> but it wasn't yeah. just that there was a little buildup because Sakuraba did beat Henzo Gracie. Henzo, yeah, Henzo, Henzo is too. more like a smaller star and uh, physically smaller too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hoyler Gracie as well. He broke his arm. Yeah, and then, and, and and Hickson wouldn't do it. So you know, next best thing, you got to beat the hoist. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just read Hickson Gracie's memoir, his book, and he he says he claims that he was offered a large, large sum of money, like five million dollars, to fight Sakuraba, but he didn't because his son passed away at around at the this time. time. At the, around the time, right? And he kind of stepped away from fighting in general. He's yeah, never, yeah, he's I never believe it. Uh, I actually interviewed uh, Hickson Gracie a couple times in Japan. He was very much like the real martial art master, and I believed him. He's very sincere. You know, some people say Hickson, you know, like the entire Gracie family is such a businessman, and they only do their fight, and they love money and the money making the venture and all these things. Uh-uh. I think he was a lot like Carl Gotch that mm. he yeah he, he was their family they were doing who were doing business but hickson gracie himself wasn't a power monger or money lover or you know businessman type of deal he really really was like a martial arts dojo sensei type i met him and i sat down a couple hours and just he was not like like professional wrestler interview who kayfabes everything it's no he was like philosopher i mean trust me and so, uh, um, yeah yeah he, and he had a, his own very special very separate career before pride before um before any uwfi with, with the valley tudo uh events yeah. and what well, was it through shuto or something he did the movie choke that was filmed in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was initially friend of, of Shuto people, you know, that Mr. Nakamura who lived in, in, in LA and also he was friend with Satoru Sayama before he was even famous. Yeah. So that the link was there. Yeah. Somebody somewhat in certain time period thought they could make a lot of money with this guy. You know what I'm saying? And for, for that time period shortly, he was, um, people knew that name Hickson. 
yeah, spelled Rickson, but uh, yes. in, in the Portugal, you have to, you know, pronounce it like Hickson, Hickson. Mm. And uh, Royce is Royce, right? And uh, if you know anything at all about the martial arts in Portugal, you got to pronounce it like Royce. Right. Yeah, so we learned that in those little culture too. Yeah. Little thing about culture. Yeah. So, so pride period. Pride and even K1 at this point, if you didn't know the difference and you just looked at it on TV, it looked, especially from the entrance and production, it had a very pro wrestling influence. Yeah, but that was an idol. Presentation. I don't think he was Hickson Gracie's choice himself. Oh, no, 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 no. Just, <clears throat> but from this time period, after, and because he didn't compete after that, but uh, a couple other Gracies did. And, and around right, right after that, that the New Japan itself wanted to, you know, jump on the bandwagon mm. and try to produce Ricky Choshu against Hickson Gracie. Oof. <laughs> Are you, I can't you imagine. Sighed, silent. You just sighed. <laughs> yeah, it's just because I mean, just if you, you close stop, your eyes and stop breathing or something, <laughs> because I mean, imagine how that would have been, especially Toshu at that time. You know, yeah, of course it didn't happen, you know, and shouldn't. shouldn't we got Onita versus Choshu uh, instead. Yeah, right, right, right. But the, what's interesting is, though, that this traditional wrestling promoter will look at the world as if everything works like pro wrestling. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Everything's like a professional wrestling. That the New Japan's producer at the time, namely probably he was uh, the Katsushi, you know, Nagashima at the time, that if you pay Hickson Gracie enough money, he'll work a match. No, he wouldn't. But um, didn't Henzo? That was uh, Inoki's last match, wasn't uh, that, it? That I. No, Henzo wasn't that the Hen Henzo came back and did uh, quite a few pro wrestling matches, non Inoki environment. Yeah. So Henzo, the small smaller Gracie, right? New York Gracie, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so he came back with his cousin Gracie and had a tag team match at the Tokyo Dome years later. But uh <laughs> what was the uh, yeah, what was the, the fan reaction by this time? Because you know what? But I think we were dealing with, like, see, late 90s, 98, 90, 97, 98, 99 wrestling fan, and year 2000 wrestling fan, and year 2006 wrestling fan were slightly different, too. Things were changing. I think so. I think so. Millennium, Millennium Impact, and year 2000 Impact, and Dark Age, the people remained or, you know, walked out. I mean, not just wrestling wrestlers and companies, but people, a lot of wrestling fans left at the time, but they had more people, not a more, but different group of wrestling fan kind of occurred. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, because there was a different product that was coming out. It wasn't just wrestling. It wasn't just MMA. I mean, we also, we have to maybe touch on it a little bit. I know it's not your favorite, but hustle. Because we yeah, saw a lot of the too. same pride faces doing because pride people were running it right uh, dream dream uh, stage entertainment dream stage entertainment and yeah, um, that the pride people wanted to conquer the wrestling world too and you had you already had Nobuhiko Takada and they had enough money to bring in people like Kevin Nash Scott Hall Bob Sapp Mick Foley you know you had a lot and 
Toshiaki Kawada, mm -hmm. Great Muta, of course. A lot of people were involved at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, also Kevin Randleman, Mark Coleman, and other stars from, from Pride. Kickbo kickboxing kickboxing. And, and MMA. They did pro wrestling that looked so horrible that I almost quit. <laughs> it was a really uh, massive misunderstanding or misinterpretation of uh, oh, pro wrestling. Of pro wrestling. Oh, bizarre oh. at times. Oh, real bizarre. But some, I, I can't really, you know, take everything away from like a Kevin Randall man because he confessed he was a wrestling fan mm -hmm. growing up. You know, and it was different. Yeah. yeah, it was different yeah. time still. It was still kind of but taboo to go back. Cannot, you cannot pretend to be a professional wrestler without having professional wrestling training no mm -hmm. see that's like fake wrestling in my book mm -hmm. if you want to be a professional wrestler you go through professional wrestlers training and have respect not like martial arts fighter full-time guy and i'll do pro wrestling today and do like now ogawa well now ogawa let's leave leave uh, let's leave out of this topic you know he's kind of an anomaly he was he was always saying that the, he was a wrestling fan growing up, but uh, he could never talk about it in judo environment because mm. people get mad at him. But you know? he would he would show up more in the pro wrestling world after his stint than the judo world. I mean, he's of course he's still in the judo world. His son is a big part of. Uh, he, yeah, but he career, pretty, but... pretty much walked away from wrestling now though because he's so involved in judo association now. Right. Yeah, and then probably he will be teaching college somewhere now, you know? He will be, yeah. And he wants to make his son a judo star too. Right. I mean, out, out, away from wrestling. So mm -hmm. that Ogawa will always be another topic of not, <laughs> for another day. But I'm talking about people like, you know, that uh, what's the famous kickboxer from Holland who also did the pro wrestling? Uh, not Bas Rutten, is it? Oh no, Bas Rutten was involved in New Japan pro wrestling at the time or, or, or already. Right, right. Um, and Kimo wanted to be a pro wrestler too, and they had a few, few match in, in New Japan. And uh, I'm talking about the Dutch guy, uh, Gilbert Evel or uh, Gerard Gordeau. They were Holland, but the black Dutch guy, Gilbert Evel. Oh, uh, Ernesto Hoost. Yeah, Ernest Hoost mm, from K1. Did, uh, did the professional wrestling match for the first hustle show and did the uh, things like a real horrible looking abdominal stretch <laughs> that that's when I thought I was going to quit. I mean, he Hoost looks like a kickbox. He doesn't look like a typical pro wrestler. Yeah, He's lanky. Like and huge, I mean, it shows how little respect you have for the, the whole genre. You know, see, rest, professional wrestling in my book isn't not fake. It's an art form. It's a discipline of its own. But the kickboxing champion try to fake pro wrestling match for the night. That's fake. And we saw you know, you know the quite a bit. Yeah, there, there were, yeah, because they didn't have the guidance how to do how to how to not just do a pro wrestling match, but how to entertain a crowd. Or they had no clue. Never had wrestling bump. Right. Or never. You could tell that they didn't watch Probably, wrestling. Too. I mean, then the fall on his ass. You know, it just was a sad day. 
<laughs> but that that would Altogether. happen a lot. That would happen more more and more often through the Dark Ages. Yeah, that's why it's called Dark Ages. Mm. You know, and I'm glad it it didn't last forever. You know, mm. and at the time you had this promising young lions in New Japan, namely Hiroshi Tanahashi, that Shinsuke Nakamura, the Katsuori. Shibata, that they were young lions. And isn't, that, he, isn't, isn't history great? It, because we can understand those three so much more clearly understanding how UWF came about. Yeah, I mean, but they choose New Japan mm, Pro Wrestling. Mm -hmm. But each of their styles, they, they express Slightly a different, different era of, and somebody like Tanahashi is very... Um, 100% pro wrestler. 100% pro wrestler, somebody like that. Or, or Shibata yeah. is very UWF influenced, you could say. But in his, in, in in his, his mind, way. But in his mind, that's pro wrestling. Right. Right. Yeah. And Nakamura does everything original. He doesn't have, he doesn't even do his, the, the traditional drop kick. When he does that, it's a Kamen Rider kick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the one foot. Yeah. So everything that Shinsuke Nakamura does slightly different from everybody else and, and, and every single move he does in the ring is his original. It's more of a Keiji Muto type. Mm. Same attitude. But he was uh, training in the MMA world as well. Yeah, because he was sent to K1 to fight mm. at the time. Yeah. But uh, in his heart, all three of them, Shibata, Tanahashi, Nakamura, yeah, all three of them, they were pro wrestler in heart. That's they, there's they a still there, are. There, there, there's a there's a difference. There's a lot more. If you a fighter, I think there's a different expectation. Yeah, I, Justin, you know, I'm 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 hoping that this the the listener who who are listening to this program right now is following our story. <laughs> Because we go back and forth and back and forth. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> that, uh, I, I just hope that they follow what, what we're talking about. I think it, I think it's okay. Is it? Is it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, even though we're going back and forth, there's still so much that we haven't touched on, too. That, you know, right. It's right. a big. So there's also fans today have to do their own due diligence to uh, if, if something interests them. Or if they think they should be studying something that they should, they have the tools and resources now on the internet. You can watch anything and yeah, yeah, read yeah. about anything. Or watch, you know, you can watch Brian Danielson's match as it is. And that's always, you know, Brian Danielson's original wrestling style. But look at him, that the tights and, the you know, the knee pads and the kicking leggers, you know, that the kick pad, that's clearly Japanese influence. Mm-hmm. CM Punk, he went into oh, MMA clearly. from pro wrestling and came back. Mm -hmm. Kind of like he probably will be like Minoru Suzuki type. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Kind yeah. of uh, uh, all over, not just in wrestling, but outside of wrestling and sports and movies and TV and so on. Yeah. And then he's vocal that not just matches, but the, the matches are important. But CM Punk. Punk is one of those people that, that who has words, who has a word of wisdom, that, that he you know he can sit and talk, that, that you know that makes sense that uh, what he has gone through and what he loved, when and the reason he came back to wrestling and all these things that something 
people can relate and kind of believe in. Yeah. I mean, if he was, if Daniel Bryan, or Daniel Bryan, no, Bryan Daniels. Mm, I did the yeah. same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were under WWE umbrella. They could never get away from that. Mm -mm. You know what I'm saying? WWE still the biggest wrestling empire in the whole world. You know, you, can't, you cannot deny that. But if you, as long as you're under that umbrella and under their world, that uh, you cannot become Brian Danielson or real CM Punk wannabe. I mean, wants to be, you know, the kind of person he wants to be. Yeah. Well, same as uh, other people who came to AEW, you know, that uh, they're doing things that they, can, you know, they couldn't do under Vince McMahon's influence. And even in AEW right now, we're seeing a, a slight uh, kind of nod to MMA versus pro wrestling with Chris Jericho's current program against American Top Team. Right, the, uh, right. Oh, UFC team. Chris Jericho, so smart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, before we recorded, I saw a clip online of um, the coach from that gym giving him a powerbomb off the top rope. So that's their buildup for this weekend at Full Gear. It's oh, still... so the fighters adopting power bomb or wrestling move. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really devastating. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's how it evolved, you know? That's how it's it's incorporated itself. Even like you said, yeah, so WWE have, is so yeah. big. It's still there. Of course. And WrestleMania next year will be two days. You know, like what? 80, 90,000 people in the ANT Stadium. You know, you can't deny that they're so popular and big, huge, and fan support all over the world, WWE Universe, you know? So, yeah. And you, some, you know, same way that the New Japan will, Pro Wrestling will always be the most popular company in Japan. Mm. Yeah. And both companies wouldn't look like they do today without what happened in the 80s and 90s right and the result yeah the result yeah. will be different i think so yeah very different well, the new japan pro wrestling pro wrestling has been around 50 years next year it started 1972 mm. and coming 2022 50 years 50 years you know any industry can change you know, people can change. Technology can change. You, we had Korogach, Antonio Inoki. You had Choshu, Fujinami. Then there was Maeda, Takada. And then you had the Three Musketeers, Muto, Chono, Hashimoto. Then you have, you know, Kensuke Sasaki and everybody in between. Or even Masakatsu, Funaki, and Minoru Suzuki. They started as young lion with New Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just like if we just sort of like sort through all these things and lay things out and try to, you know, like a, make a chart, you know? Yeah, it's like a spider web. We have better understanding of the world. Hmm. Yeah. But it all kind of comes back to similar places, similar people, similar yeah. faces, similar yeah. style. Yeah. You know? But we, it's a gen generation later. So, see, the today's superstar, they weren't there, you know? They watched it and they grew up watching it and, and, and thought about it so much and mm. decided what they wanted to be doing when they grow up. And uh, they all grown up now. Yeah. And it happened very fast too. In the 90s, each year, it seemed so different oh, style yes. from year and to year. A lot of things happened. 
probably back in 60s and 70s, a lot of things happened too, but there weren't videotapes, you know, of it or no internet to, you know, have record of it, you know. And uh, there weren't podcasts like this that we, we could talk about it then. Mm -mm. And, and, uh, maybe a lot of things were happening then, but uh, individually, you know. But uh, now that the, we can go back and really study what was happening then, then uh, we have better understanding of what's happening today or how you define pro wrestling is or should be or what you like or what you don't like. And uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? These are uh, becoming more and more clear about this these days. <laughs> yeah. So do you think we covered most everything about this uh, kind of, not just UWF, well, the UWF but UWF the idea? It, it, yeah. Oh, yeah, what pro wrestling is. And uh, that the question is up to us, you and I, and everybody who's listening to this program, that the, why do you love wrestling so much? Mm. <laughs> right? There's, uh, I think the one thing that I feel like I'm learning more and more about, especially when we talk about UWF, is how a lot of the best wrestlers who came out of this are so clearly able to express themselves in a unique, distinct way. And doing so, like Akira Maeda, nobody's like Akira Maeda. Nobody's like Shinsuke Nakamura. Right. They're 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 using this philosophy to express something that you can't write down, to express something that's in them. And, yeah. and it allows original, them to be more original, creative, original. Individual. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And these people will have, you know, their place in history. Yes. And a different um kind of value or meaning too so Masuka Funaki has a very important value to pro wrestling but it's very different from Keiji Muto even though oh very different they're from the same class different all different and very much yeah you know, Shinya Hashimoto the same way mm -hmm. she has his place in history you know and yeah and Misawa Kobashi Kawada too you know it's pretty far away but uh, somewhat somehow all connected in this wrestling universe mm -hmm. yeah the um it's not just the the company like like we were talking on our last episode the second version of uwf was only two years long that they ran yeah but only 31, much, 31 shows all together but 31 shows and look how much uh impact <laughs> they've had yeah. on pro wrestling yep not so. just spin-offs but the ph philosophy of it ideas concept what to believe you know or make believe or how to act how to be in the ring and for us how to digest you know yeah. how, how to process the ideas you know and it's kept coming up you know and then you just watch it and kind of try to process it you know then like in 90s following week you go out and watch onita too <laughs> sure <laughs> you know what i'm saying sure. I couldn't process it anymore, you know? Yeah. The one special thing about this UWF style is that it's it's a very unique approach that doesn't look aged when you watch it today. It doesn't look too it old. It didn't exist until mid-80s, so it's like uh, those kicking pad and low kick and middle kick to your stomach. To uh, Or they um, 
UWF people educated audience enough that the straight arm bar or Kimura or the Achilles tendon or the straight knee locks to a, or the things that was adapted by people like Nagata, Nagata lock or your, what's the Chris Ben was, you know. Uh, cross face. Cross face. LaBelle lock. Yeah, or yes lock now. Yes lock, know? yes. Yeah, those things weren't educated back then. But now it's like, wow, people see it and understand it. And it works. You know what I'm saying? And moves are pretty legitimate. Yeah. And I think it'll keep evolving, don't you? <clears throat> I think so. I think so. But your drop kicks in, 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 or crossbody wouldn't die either. No. No, yeah. it's all, it's, it finds its way in and it mixes with the right, the right people know how to mix both. Yeah, I think so. And Hiroshi Tanahashi uses his high fly flow. Uh, well, it's exact same move as Eddie Guerrero's frog splash, right? Hmm. That's the most spectacular move in professional wrestling. But and only that, when he does it. Only when right, he right. Does oh, it. of course, of course. So that those things aren't gonna go away. Right. So uh, we have this very rich content and ingredients in professional wrestling today. I think we yeah. covered a lot of ground, but I, I, <clears throat> anybody has a question, because I'm sure people have questions. We didn't even get to talk about Bob Sapp. I'm sure we could do a whole show on him. I'm sure he... In please, a do lot of, some, please do that with somebody else. <laughs> but, but you do have to admit, he is a kind of product of the post-UWF world. A uh, product of Dark Age. And Dark Ages, yeah. He, yeah. I don't look at him as professional wrestler. He just wandered into the world and walked out. Mm. Product of the time. He was almost accident for me. Yeah, he, he's uh, a different different topic for a different day, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like that. <laughs> but uh, we will uh, uh, ask people to send questions, you know. Mm. And uh, probably next episode, the entire episode, you know, we'll be asking people's question. Yeah. Maybe the question will come from this episode too. Sure. Know? Yeah, but uh, anything, anything at all about Japanese wrestling, old or new, yeah, we, we're here to answer. So if somebody wanted to ask you a question personally, Fumi-san, how can they get a hold of you on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo. Uh, follow me or send me question or Fumi Saito on Facebook. Uh, please DM or the message me first, and so we get to know each mm. other a little bit. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K N I P P E R. If you have questions for either of us, you can leave them through social media, leave them on the Patreon page. But other than that, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Yeah.